Welcome to a special signing day edition of MGO Radio. It is signing day, so <laughs> I thought we would talk about the recruiting class. And to help us do that, we have Steve Lorenz with us. How are you doing, Steve? Good, guys. Good to be back on with you. All right. So I guess from the top, we have to state that as a recruiting class, this is one of the more disappointing efforts that Michigan's put out in a long time. Currently, uh, 18th on the composite, no top 100 players. They're still in it for Nichols Harbor, so they might be able to change that, but he's waiting until signing day in February. <clears throat> but this is a, a class that you know, looks like a typical Michigan class, except it doesn't really have that high end. And as we saw this year, it's kind of nice to have J.J. McCarthy and Donovan Edwards and Will Johnson on your team. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I did a I did a comparison between this one and um, previous classes because people kind of like bring up the 2018 class as like, okay, well, you know, those guys all worked out really great. Um, it's really not the 2018 class, but it does have like a lot more guys who seem to have like very high ceilings. I don't know. I get. I will probably get into more of a oh, high high overview later. Do you want to mention our yeah. sponsors, maybe? I suppose we could mention this. Mention the sponsors. <laughs> Thank you to Underground Printing for making this all possible. Check them out at ugpmichiganapparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the mgoblogstore.com. We'd also like to thank our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Homeshare Lending, Ticket IQ, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, and we are recording this on SignalWire. All right, so not entirely sure if there is a quarterback in this class. Kendrick Bell, listed as an athlete by 24-7, is someone who Michigan has decided they will give a shot at quarterback. Six foot three, a brother of Ronnie Bell, you know, ranked higher than Ronnie Bell, but not that much higher. He's uh, the 844 kid on the composite. And um, I think it's just difficult to recruit a quarterback in this class because of J.J. McCarthy. Because we saw Dante Moore, Bo Nix stays at Oregon. And Dante Moore is like, no, I got to start it as a true freshman. And so was it ever going to happen at Michigan? No. <clears throat> and so you get a little bit disappointed that Moore decides to go somewhere else. But if that's what his criteria is well then that's what his criteria is and i think you're seeing jane davis in 24 he's looking at jj and thinking well maybe he's three and out and i can start as a true freshman which i don't think michigan wants but that's kind of what an elite signal caller is interested in these days it's tougher to stack them than it used to be right i mean and you see it even in the portal now with guys moving all over the country if they're not maybe seeing the field as early as they want to yeah, no doubt Dante Moore's flip to UCLA is uh, probably almost fully due to Bo Nix coming back, especially when we see Oregon reeling in five-star after five-star this morning, couple out of nowhere. Uh, so we know what's going on up in Eugene. Uh, a lot of reasons for kids to go there right now. But Michigan, yeah, the other thing too is, I, you know, Michigan obviously didn't stress out too much about it, right? I mean, they didn't really even go after another guy. I mean, more committed to Oregon in July. Uh, plenty of time to even take a flyer, you know, whether Bell projects the quarterback or not. I mean, they could have ta- even still taken a flyer on uh, another quarterback that maybe didn't have the <clears throat> the high ceiling that like, a, yeah, that like a Dante Moore or Jaden Davis does in 24, but, but at least just a supplement. So yeah, it feels like, you know, we've seen Michigan in the portal now uh, a little more aggressive. I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be much more a combination of uh, real and elite guys and, and then use the portal when, necessary uh to potentially fill that spot 
So hypothetically, let's say JJ is a three and out and Michigan does get Jaden Davis. Are they going to be in the portal next year if they don't have someone on their roster they're confident in for like a one-year Rudock like stopgap? That's you know, Orgy and Denigle. I mean, what what comes what comes about with those two guys, right? I mean, that's what's kind of fascinating yeah. to me about it is they signed two last cycle and neither guy really gets talked about a lot. I thought it was interesting that that Orgy did did play this season and, and played in a few games. So maybe he's the guy uh, with a little bit of a higher ceiling. But, yeah, I mean, it's one of those that you guys – I mean, until we actually see either of those guys especially, um, not just in a game but, like, throw the football a little bit, it, it's going to be hard to kind of know, uh, you know, if they would. But, I, you know, what we've seen now and we're seeing it, it with what they've done in the portal this offseason, uh, if they have an opportunity to improve the roster – they're going to do it. And so, you know, it, it really will come down to the development of those two guys, in my opinion, versus what Jaden Davis brings, provided, let's say, he commits and signs, uh, and then whatever's out in the portal. Because, you know, like I said, we've seen so many pretty darn good quarterbacks enter, uh, you know, and and Michigan's obviously becoming a more and more appealing situation for really a guy to any position. So, Fascinating though, yeah. The two twenty-two guys have never get talked about at all as far as the future for Michigan at quarterback, and it's like you know, fascinating also that they signed both uh, and they signed two guys, you know, that were, and we don't really know much about them still as actual quarterbacks. Well, let's focus back on Kendrick Bell, um, very mobile guy, uh, has a little bit of Mahomes in him. If you're watching his high school highlights, probably ranked where he is for a reason, but. If you're looking at what J.J. McCarthy brings his offense just with his ability to move out of the pocket, to run the ball sometimes, and then get the ball downfield, he's similar in that regard. Now, he's not a five-star, right? He's not going to have that ridiculous NFL arm talent that McCarthy also has. Otherwise, he would be ranked where he was. But he's he's got some upside. I'm interested to see yeah, where he projects. I, I got to think if it's not quarterback, it'd be like a receiver or safety maybe. Michigan didn't really take a true safety this cycle. Uh, I think they like what they had last. I think they had like three or four guys that could project there last cycle. So, you know, a few different spots they plug him into. The athleticism, though, is, yeah, is obviously there. He's bigger than Ronnie was, too. Um, I think Michigan, you know, one of those things where I don't know if they feel like it's almost like the Glasgow situation, you know, where I think they think they'll get way more out of Kendrick Bell than what other schools saw, just the same way that that ended up happening with Ronnie. So, yeah, really for him, it all comes down to projection. I think he's got a shot at quarterback. I mean, he looks like there's some tools there that Michigan could work with. But then again, yeah, then now you're talking about three quarterback signees in a row that that are are projects, to be frank. So, you know, we'll, he's, again, a, a ball of clay, I guess, for the staff. Uh, but a guy that, you know, I know they're happy about him. You know, and like I said, I think they see, you know, the, you know Harbaugh's got that, the, the I think the family, like just knows, you know, the hard work that Ronnie Bell has put in and, and, I think they see enough talent in his brother to, to roll the dice again. Yeah, moving on to running back Cole Cabana, uh, second-ranked guy in the state of Michigan, six foot, currently listed at 180, probably play around 200. Has a 10.55 uh, verified 100-meter time. So straight-line burner, guy who can uh, come out of the backfield and play in the uh, as, as a wide receiver, um, reminiscent of Donovan Edwards, obviously, there's a gap in his uh, rating, but you know Donovan Edwards is a top 50 player, and Cole Cabana is inside the top 200. So maybe not Donovan Edwards, but maybe not too far away. So yeah, I don't know if you guys think he's a year one guy. I, I think it's 
debatable. I think he's probably got to gain a little bit more weight. I don't know if the is he listed at two hundred on our site even? Is he he's listed at one eighty? Uh, yeah, one eighty. Yeah, I think that's yeah. We they they're going to have to put a little bit more weight on him. But yeah, I think the Donovan Edwards comparison. Uh, big thing about Cabana too. He held this rating and ranking before a senior season that I thought looked pretty improved from his junior stuff. I mean, he was taking over games consistently this year, helped lead Dexter, I think, to their longest playoff run in school history. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of discussion about Mike Hart and his recruiting ability and et cetera, et cetera, uh, this cycle, at least on our message board. And and yet, here's Cabana. I think we have him as a top 10 ranked. I know the composite has him at ninth. I think we're even higher on him. Uh, Alan Treve's been has watched him closely for a couple of years. So clear dual threat though, as far as, yeah, running and receiving, I, you know, I think the big question is, can he, how effective can he be in between the tackles? Like I said, if he puts on some weight, I think he'll be fine there. Uh, but yeah, I think he's a guy, I don't know, it could be a gadget guy next year, right? I mean, if they need somebody in a, in a pinch, uh, it could be a guy they could use in a variety of ways, but, but yeah, I think the, the straight line speed and I think his improved vision and, and cut ability uh, you know, I think he's it's totally reasonable that he's within the top 10 for sure. Just a matter of when can he make an impact for Michigan? One thing we saw at Dexter this year, he he threw a couple blocks. Um, I know he's not a big guy, but you know, he's <clears throat> he's got that willingness at least, which you know, project that down the line. You know, they're going to need somebody who's going to be able to you know pick up a block in the in the backfield or um, even lead block for JJ down in the uh, in the red zone. And I, again, not really big, so he's just kind of ba- probably going to bounce off college players. But you know that that willingness sometimes just isn't there with some running backs. And I, I kind of think Cabana might be might be a dude once he bulks up. Yeah, the <clears throat> the one thing I wanted to say about Cabana was when he was 11, he attended a clinic at the Big House. This was in 2016, and he was the fastest youngster at the camp. And Harbaugh actually tweeted about him. So you can go way back in time and find in 2016 Harbaugh like the fastest kid at our camp yesterday was Cole Cabana. And then uh, fast forward seven years later, he's going to be on the team. So that's a that's a pretty neat thing. And Cabana grew up an MSU fan, actually. Um, So it was it was a nice recruiting job by Michigan, in part because MSU was looking elsewhere for running backs that uh, Michigan was able to, to scoop him up. The other back in the class is Benjamin Hall out of Georgia, much more of a traditional running back build, 5'10", listed at 225. Uh, kind of a mid-three-star, number 765 on the composite. And he's got some wiggle. He's got <clears> – <throat> he's not just a straight-ahead bruiser. He doesn't really have, like, the kind of athleticism that you would see him pop into the top 100. But he's, he's low to the ground. He breaks tackles. He's uh, a guy who, you know, I think – if you're going back in Michigan history, like Hart's a potential comparable. Um, <clears throat> yeah, obviously, he's not going to be Mike Hart, but sort of in that vein of back. And then maybe he's got a nice jump cut. Maybe fits Toussaint. It's, he's a uh, he looks like pretty solid on film. Michigan would be thrilled if you know they got a fits Toussaint or a, obviously, well, yeah, Mike Hart. Like you said, I don't think that that's yeah, but just in terms of like right. style, absolutely, absolutely. You can't project. You know, we can't project a Mike Hart, but but the style, I, I can see that. Yeah, he's one that there's been a subject of debate with him. Uh, his high school running back room is loaded. I want to say he has a younger teammate committed to Clemson. I think there's another guy on their roster that has gotten some scholarship offers as well. Uh, so he 
actually were a few games where he didn't make much of an impact uh, this season, uh, you know, and, and that led to some questions. I, you know, feels to me like a lot like what people were saying about CJ Stokes uh, at the end of last cycle. I think there were a lot of people wondering if Stokes had the the speed uh, or just the actual like flat out ability, especially when, you know, he's, he was from Columbia, South Carolina and, and South Carolina really didn't make a late push for him or really pushed super, super hard throughout his recruitment. Uh, so with Hall, who will enroll early, I, I think, yeah, I think, you know, at 225, clearly he's a guy they look at as somebody that can move the pile. I mean, I think that's what they're looking for and hoping for. Uh, but I agree. I, I can see him being one of those guys that's going to get you six or seven consistently, right? I mean, with that that jump cut ability, the ability to get through that first level and with that size, uh, I think is a guy, you know, not going to be your your home run hitter necessarily. But but like I said, for the way Michigan's offense operates, um, you know, second and four, second and three is is as important as a, you know, 20, 25 yard bomb in a lot of cases. So, you know, yeah, good compliment. I mean, a true, true thunder and lightning type deal, at least with Hall, with Hall and Cabana, I feel like as far as what they kind of look like on film um, and both are enrolling early. So might know by the spring if if either one of them is a guy that's going to see the ball next year. Moving on to wide receiver, Michigan just picked up a commitment from Carmelo English, 5'11", 175, the number 180 kid in the prospect uh, composite, a uh, kid who was committed to Auburn but decommitted after Auburn did its Auburn stuff. Uh, got some interest from Alabama, had offers and, and visited Florida State and Florida. Uh, so a top 200 kid out of Alabama, that's not very common for Michigan. Uh, looks like he'll be more of a slot type, and I guess the question about him is uh, – I mean, we've seen what slot types are doing in Michigan's offense right now, which is not a whole heck of a lot. Um, <clears throat> does he have the ability to play outside? Um, and does he have the ability to be some of that Donovan Edwards type where he can go in, into the backfield and come out of it? I, I, I would say don't look at his height. I mean, because he, he's way more Jeremy Gallon than A.J. Henning. Like his, he actually has like a lot of um, clips of him like going up and winning jump balls and He's other than being five ten, uh, he's basically an outside receiver. They, I don't think they would take a guy unless they fully. They're very adamant about guys that can play both inside and outside. So yeah, with Seth, as far as you know, he possesses the athleticism, I believe, to do both. It was crazy to think. I don't know if you guys listened to his his commitment this morning, but he actually was going to give up football after tenth grade and had a coach convince him. To stay the course, that's <laughs> like you owe a lot to that dude after today, man. Like you know, pretty cool story for him. But but yeah, uh, felt it's always felt like Michigan's more aggressive in Alabama. You know, they were early, but he's only the second kid to sign uh, with along with Deuce Spurlock last cycle since uh, since Nico Collins signed in 2017. So you know, in Phoenix uh, Phoenix City Central has pumped out a lot of really good receivers. I know Justin Ross for Clemson was one that had a really good college career. And uh, there have been a few other guys, I feel like, in the last two cycles or so that have signed with big-time schools. I can't remember their names. But, but yeah, there's, so there's a there's a pedigree there at the receiver position, which, you know, can't hurt. So, uh, yeah, nice win, though. Really nice win for them uh, over Kentucky. And Auburn pushed a little bit at the end. I don't necessarily know if he was a take for Alabama, but they they were recruiting him at least within the last three or four weeks or so. Uh, Samaj Morgan out of West Bloomfield, a high three-star inside the top 500 on the composite. 
another slot type. So 5'10", 175, uh, maybe a guy who is able to take that handing role and take it somewhere else. Uh, maybe a guy you would look at as a defensive back at some point down the road. Um, <clears throat> obviously knows Ron Bellamy very well, so Ron Bellamy is going to be a big believer in his talents. And another guy who his highlights do, do feature an awful lot of going downfield and making contested catches. So that uh, seems to be a priority, no matter the size. So he's a guy that we got to see in person two years ago at the Ferris State. Ferris State had like a summer camp. And um, this was before, I don't even know if Michigan had offered at this point, but he was, and there were some other really good players at the camp too. Uh, many, many power five guys. And Morgan was one of the first dudes that like, absolutely popped as far as the explosiveness coming out of the block um, hands, which I think some of there've been questions. There were questions about AJ Henning's hands as far as receiver goes. I don't think that hands will be an issue with Morgan. He also is the guy that's the, the curse of being the first commit. So his ranking almost just automatically stays static uh, when they're in that like 88 to like 90 range. I feel like, guys that commit early are almost just kind of forgotten about as far as the rankings and ratings go. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, again, a guy that they offered, he was one of the first, not just the first guy to commit, but was one of the first few receivers they offered in this class a while ago. So, um, yeah, one of those that, you know, like the other thing I always talk about is like his recruitment had no drama. Obviously he committed so early. That's another reason why fans and, and people just kind of tend to forget about some of these guys because, there was, yeah, there was no dramatics. There was no fanfare with the commitment. He's been committed forever. Uh, but yeah, another, you know, they're, they're obviously trying to diversify the receiver room, right? I mean, they've, they've been taking more bigger guys the last couple cycles, uh, but with Morgan and um, even Fred Moore, who we'll talk about in a second, you know, it's like guys that are a little different body wise to, I think, kind of diversify their, their portfolio, I guess, in the receiver room. His comp when he committed, it was Mike Samer still, which he was still a receiver at the time. That's kind of what they meant. Sure. But, um, I Very similar kind of guy, I guess. And also, um, he's there wasn't a, a five-star. There wasn't like a J.J. or Will Johnson to kind of hold this class together and just, you know, be banging the drum for this class. And I think Samaj and his parents definitely took on that role for this class. And I... You know, they're they're more of a, a Samaj Morgan ranked class than uh, than previous ones too, and that might be part of it. But somebody had to do that, and I think that he stepped up and just you know carried the flag for everybody. Uh, moving on to Fred Moore out of St. Louis, Missouri, six foot one seventy five, another guy who's ranked around five hundredth in the composite, so a three star, but a pretty high three star. Uh, Michigan wins against uh, Illinois, Arkansas for him. A little bit bigger. Alan True, uh, his uh, evaluation is the name of the game with more is route running, which I always like to hear. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So, uh, you know, a guy who's another inside-outside guy might be reminiscent of Ronnie Bell. So he's going to be one of my – there's like three or four guys. I mean, a lot to choose from in this class, right, with where some of these guys are ranked. But uh, more to me, is one of the big sleepers in this class. Like you said, the route running. Another guy whose senior film, I thought, showed a lot of improvement over his junior stuff also just prolific like he produced he had a huge senior season um you know and and again another guy so michigan put out their first waiver receiver offers more was among like a group of like four or five guys like i can't remember exactly what month or what time but there were he was in that second wave of offers at receiver and and was a guy they immediately went all in on and uh yeah as you i think illinois arkansas i think i think even missouri was involved there too obviously but 
but yeah, to me, he he's definitely to me one of the the three or four like sleepers in this class. I think a guy that will will outdo his ranking, and and another reason why Michigan maybe didn't push as hard for. And again, he's only six foot. He's not like it's not like he's like a an Andrew Anthony or a, a Namorian Walker or anything like that. But uh, they didn't push for another sort of pure outside receiver uh, in this class because I think they really think more has the potential to, to, to really do uh, some great things for them. At, at tight end, Deacon Tonelli, uh, Tony Ellie is uh, out of Illinois, six foot six, two fifteen right now ranked 394th in the composite, another win over Illinois, which we had a lot of com- uh, recruiting battles against this year, strangely. Um, and you look at that six six two fifteen. You look at his highlights, and it's like okay, kind of kind of looks like Colston Loveland. He he lines up outside. He plays wide receiver. He doesn't quite look as explosive as Colston Loveland, but that's the kind of thing I think you're going to hope to get out of him long term. Yeah, I agree. This this one's one. Yeah, this was another very Michigan. Just seems to really love kids that have really quiet recruitments. Um, we were back and forth whether or not Michigan was high on him. Things were quiet there for a while, but this is a guy that Grant Newsom really seemed to hone in on after he took the tight end position. And uh, yeah, you know, definitely got to put on some weight, right? Uh, you know, because he is more of a split type guy right now. But uh, you know, another guy I feel like they they definitely like him more as a primary receiver type. But like I said, it's really going to depend on how much weight they put on him. And uh, I know one thing about him that they really liked. Is yeah, he's only two fifteen, but um, and I don't remember the, how much the film actually showed with him blocking. But uh, you know, it has been very vocal and adamant to the staff about being excited to uh, learn how to become an elite blocker at the tight end position. Which you know, sometimes normally you got guys like when Mark Andrews was being recruited, he didn't he was eliminating schools that were recruiting him at tight end. Uh, he wanted to be a wide receiver. You know, it's like six six two fifteen. You might think guy like that thinking something similar, but has really, it seems to embrace what Michigan uh, wants to do at the tight end position. And, and a guy, yeah, small town out of Illinois and another guy whose ranking just kind of stayed static throughout after he committed, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I don't think he's a year one guy, but I, I don't really know if they need a year one guy with Barner now. So, uh, you know, yeah, good pickup. I mean, he's his his video is all him playing wide receiver. So yeah, Loveland yeah actually that's what I thought. Yep move down to tight end as a senior and and Tony Elliott is, is a year away from that. So yeah, it's definitely a guy to kind of stash away and see what you got. But you know, if there's anyone who's earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to tight end uh, offers where you're moving a guy to tight end, it's Jim Harbaugh. Um, Zach Marshall is the other tight end in the class, a little bit uh, more of an inline guy, 6'4", 220 right now. Ranked in that high three-star range around 500 where so many of the kids in this class are. Um, <clears throat> and a guy who is ranked as an athlete, so maybe has some opportunity to play edge or linebacker, maybe probably edge. But uh, a guy who, like a lot of other guys in this class, flew under the rating. Usually you get like some scouting on these guys and stuff when they're in this range, but uh, not for Zach Marshall. His, yeah, his recruitment was actually very similar to Sean McCune's. I don't know if you guys remember. Michigan was aware of Marshall for a while, and actually their their strategy here was to wait until he got to campus to offer. Um, they were going to offer him the whole time, but I think they, they didn't want to offer him too early because I think there was some fear that – because they really – I mean, this is another – he Marshall's with more for me as far as offensively as the guys that – I think will outplay their uh, their actual ranking. 
And and Michigan absolutely in love with Marshall's abilities. I mean, they worked him out in person when he came up for the visit and the offer. Uh, they already liked him, like I said, at that point. But I think seeing him in person, uh, it made them even more gung-ho about what he can do. So, yeah, I think they they with McCune in this one, they kind of kept it under wraps because they, they were a little bit of fear of like an offer might blow the kid's recruitment up. So I think they waited a little bit and wanted him to come out, offered him. And, yeah, I think he was – was he was committed somewhere first too, if I remember right. Um, committed to Michigan shortly after. Either that or he was favoring somebody else. But either way, yeah, that Marshall's one had a. I want to say his spark score was really good, which you know whatever. But at tight end, that can sometimes be a good indicator. And uh, has experience playing with an elite quarterback. His teammates, five star Julian Sayan, who is signing with or signed with Alabama today, I assume. And uh, you know, so yeah, guy knows how to do. Yeah, more of a dual threat at the tight end spot. Just three offensive linemen in this class. All of them ranked in a narrow band from number 349 to number 269. Evan Link, six foot six, 290 out of DC is the tackle in the class. Um, I suppose he's an offensive lineman and we'll just have to find out in three years. <laughs> so he, another very, very quiet kid at a very quiet recruitment. Um, I think Michigan, basically, I think it was Penn State is who they beat in this one. If if the coaches were picking a sleeper, I know he's a four star already, but if the coaches were picking a guy that they would say is ranked higher or should be ranked higher than what he is, I, I kind of think Link might be that guy. We only have him at an 88. Uh the composite is pushing his overall grade up quite a bit. Um, you know, a 91. Three, I think listen to the coaches and everybody else was like, uh, okay, whatever. I, like that was... Yeah. So I mean we oh well we've again we've had him at 88 for a while, but mm-hmm. but this this was one. He's one of the most important commits Michigan got because they they badly needed a true tackle in this class, at least one. And and they were kind of, despite the Joe Moore Award and the success, like they were swinging and missing on quite a few guys that they really liked up front. Um, and they were able to get Link, and I think that alleviated a lot of their concern uh, about this cycle as far as offensive tackle goes. So, yeah, I think he's got – tons of potential. And, and, and yeah, like I said, to me, one of the most important and one that I think the coaches would say is, is like, I think they look at him as like a top 150, like top 100 level player. You mentioned with Marshall, and I think the same thing was true with Link, that when Michigan got him on campus, they like to take their measurements, right? And then yes. some guys, after Michigan gets a guy up there and they take their measurements, all of a sudden Michigan is just like pouring out the love for that guy. And Marshall was one and Link was another where like they where they when they finally saw how long he was, they're like, okay, now we we really think this guy can turn into something. So I think that's where that came from. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh two guards <clears throat> two guards in the class, both six three around three hundred. Nathan of Phobie ranked number three forty nine. Amir Herring ranked number two ninety one. Herring's out of West Bloomfield, so Michigan's very familiar with him. Ephobie's out of coming Georgia. So uh definitely more farther afield there. Uh, I mean, these guys are ranked in that four-star range where it's like they definitely have some promise and Michigan can develop them, but is there really a whole lot else to say about either of them at this juncture? <laughs> yeah, not not a ton. I mean, Herring's a guy like who every time we've seen him in person has been really, really good. Uh, a guy that we were, I know at least a lot, a lot of members on our board and even uh, us on the site, like, you know, kind of wondered if if his ranking would just because every time we see him and he's played again, he's done camps against legit competition. 
he's looked really, really good. I, I don't know if it's maybe because they project him to if they think he could be if he's going to be a center down the road. Centers don't normally get great rankings, uh, but either way, a guy that to me has just been productive. Ifobi, uh, much more of the project high ceiling kind of guy. Um, another one where he was a later. There was a I don't know how many, I mean, how many waves, but but when Michigan offers guys at positions, it tends to be, you know, they're the guys that we talk about for the first, like the whole first half of the process. Then there's usually a couple more waves throughout after more eva- evals that, that uh, you know, of guys they really like. A phobia was like in that third wave of guys. And, and yeah, much like Link was a guy that they they really latched onto. And again, I, like he's one that's, I think will take a little bit longer, but could be, I don't know if he's a higher ceiling than Link, but as far as an interior guy is, probably one of the higher ceiling guys on the roster now he's just it's just a matter of i think learning the game and and one of those types of deals uh finally on offense michigan picks up adam samaha from huron high here in ann arbor uh to be a kicker and i'm looking up his uh hello post on mgo blog and it's kind of like ah we don't know (laughs) because there's no scouting out there so uh that was in uh january of last year so we've had this year so we've had an entire extra year to get some sort of data on him. What do you got? <laughs> uh, no, I mean he's good. I, I've so actually I put, I finally put in a request this cycle for us to like and, it's, and they it was ignored, but to change the way we we rank special teams guys because you see eighty one and it's like it drags the average down. It just looks bad when like the kickers are are important with Samaha. Um, I think they look at him as the heir apparent to. A hopefully successful career for Tommy Doman, who should take over next season. And uh, he's one, I think his his dad either played for Michigan or went to Michigan, but either way, he's someone they've been aware of. He's one they might have been more aware of than than anybody before. Uh, and not just because he was in the backyard, but they, you know, there's a big emphasis with this staff on on like Jay Harbaugh running point on special teams. They dig a lot deeper with kids than I think people realize. And for Samaha to be right in their backyard, I think was like, you know, finding a little a treasure chest uh, right there. It's like they didn't have to, not that you really have to recruit kickers too hard when there's a scholarship involved, but either way, uh, I know their expectation of him is that he will eventually be the place kicker, which is not great analysis because you would assume that'd be the case. But like, I just know like they, yeah, they, it, you know it, what I mean? It's a kicker. Yeah. No, it's, it's a kicker. Hard. I always like to get. try to give the special teams guys love though. Cause they never, they never yeah. get any. And then, you know, so. Well, there is that golden era where I could look up ESPN's evaluation of cam Cheeseman and find out he had long levers that uh, we no longer have long snapper scouting on the internet. So it's uh, <laughs> It's rough out here for the analysts. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, and talk about the defensive side of the ball. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. 
Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. Now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley. Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. It can be a rough ride along the information superhighway. That's why we build our e-commerce websites tough enough to handle the load. With the capacity to take hundreds of simultaneous online transactions and the stability of load-balanced, co-located server architectures, a website from Human Element performs in the roughest conditions. Thousands of products? No problem. We'll throw in the tools to manage it with precision and efficiency. All with a design slick enough to make you think your girlfriend might be impressed. So load it up and hit the gas and let Human Element show you the way. Special offers available for returning lessees. Financing available with approved credit to qualified buyers. Client participation may affect savings. Optional equipment available at additional cost. See human-element.com for details. Opening a book of broken glass. Cut my finger on a slender shard. And if only Welcome back to the special signing day edition of MGO Radio. We still have Steve Lorenz with us to talk about the defense. And we'll start off with Roderick Pierce, defensive tackle out of Oaklawn, Illinois, former Wisconsin commit. Again, ranked around 500th in the composite high three-star. Um, <clears throat> and a guy who, like, sometimes you get a quote and you're like, I think this guy might make it. This is his head coach. Culturally, he was like, how do I watch film properly? He concentrated on technique and run fits. He would always go to camps and learn pass rush stuff, so he had done a lot of that. But as far as being a run defender, he was absolutely amazing. He single-handedly changed our defense for the better and kept us in games. It wouldn't have been in without him. So that seems like a fit. And you tell me a Wisconsin defensive lineman shakes free because of their chaos and Michigan hops on him. I think that's a pretty good prospect. Big time. Uh, I think I think they hope or I think they're hoping they found another Chris Jenkins. Uh, Chris Jenkins obviously had to put on some weight after he signed, but he had the bloodlines that was a no doubter. He was going to be able to put on some weight, right? But but Pierce, I think, yeah, that run-stopping ability is really what drew Michigan there. The other big indicator with him, and this will actually be a much more uh, common theme on the defensive side, uh, we just bumped him from an 85 to an 89. Uh, Allen bumped him to an 89. A late bump of that 
like that big is is usually to me is usually a really good indicator that the I mean obviously the arrow's pointing up in our mind but there's a pretty good track record with guys like that getting a bump that late uh that they're that they're you know going to be productive at some point in their career so yeah this was a nice win uh Texas came in late tried to tried to put a move in Illinois once again yeah they, there are there's like a bunch of guys they've recruited against Illinois uh but yeah Wisconsin also was where he's originally committed so yeah another this was a really big pickup I thought for Michigan and a guy that'll fit yeah, that run-stopping spot uh, that Jenkins currently occupies. Other defensive tackle in the class is Brooks Barr, also out of Illinois. He's 6'6", 270, so maybe a more unconventional DT build. Uh, ranked uh, in the mid-600s, and a guy who, uh, again, kind of uh, <laughs> committed early and just shut it down. I mean, Iowa offer, Wisconsin offer, a guy with the, the kind of Midwest offers that you, if you're not going to get a top 100 defense alignment, I think you want a guy who kind of looks like this, who's like, oh yeah, he's the pain in the ass on the Wisconsin line, or he's the pain in the ass on the Iowa line three years from now. How tall, you guys, how tall was Matt Godin? Matt Godin was six foot eight. No, not Godin. No, that's, uh, that was, no, that was. (laughs) That was Pat. Was like, yeah, Pat. Matthew. I was like, was he that was, tall? Godin That's like I knew. I think was six five, right? Six, six, yeah. So yeah. I think like a Godin warmly type deal. Uh, big thing with Barr is that this Elston offered him almost immediately uh, when he took the job at Michigan last year. Barr was one of the first guys he offered. He did not offer him at Notre Dame though, so I thought it was interesting. I don't know if he must have really liked the kid and maybe. You know, there was got overruled by the coordinator or who, whatever. But when he got to Michigan, this was one of the first kids he offered. And yeah, Iowa, Wisconsin, really all you need to know as far as, you know, if those staff see something in them, then there's something there. Uh, you know, senior film, good compared to his junior film. Uh, but a guy, I think, again, this not a year one type dude, a guy I think will take a little bit more time to develop. But yeah, I think they see him as, as yeah, sort of a malleable piece uh, up front. With with a yeah projection, like I said, that's why I asked how Godin is who he reminded me of, but I couldn't remember if he was that tall. Uh, but warmly Godin, those types of guys. So is he a guy who you might see in that sort of Mike Morris anchor role down the road instead of a defensive tackle? Possibly. Best case scenario, I think, for Michigan, right? I think they'd love to have somebody like that. They can move in a little bit in, but a guy that could play on the outside with that length, obviously. So so yeah, that'd be if you're a Michigan fan, I think you're hoping to see that at some point. <clears throat> at uh Edge, Michigan has two, uh, I think, polar opposite prospects. Eno Etta is the top-ranked kid in the class just outside the top 165, already 260, plays in Texas, relatively close to a finished product. Um, still needs to you know, refine a little bit, has uh, gained a lot of weight over the past couple of years and needs to get a little bit more used to being that size, playing at that size. But a guy who has a lot of motor, has a lot of burst up the edge, and is is a fairly good bet to be maybe not a starter next year, but maybe a contributor, and then looking towards being a major piece in year two. Yeah, long wingspan. He's a guy that I think has gotten a lot better too. Plays against some pretty solid. Car- I know it's in Texas. I don't know if he's playing like elite, elite. You know, you think Texas, you think of the bigger schools. I don't know if he's playing elite, elite competition, but. Uh, another guy prolific statistically this season and yeah, top recruit in the class. So obviously there's, there's something there. Um, 
yeah. I mean, I don't know if he's a year one guy either. I don't think they don't really need – I mean, you'll take a year one guy, but I don't know if they really desperately need one. But but I think he's probably – obviously, he's probably the one that's closest to making an immediate impact. But but I know that 260 number, uh, you know, last I had checked, I, I think Michigan was was very happy with that number, uh, knowing I think they, they don't really feel like he lost any of that athleticism that – made him kind of a highly ranked guy to begin with, you know? So I think that's one of those things where you're kind of, you know, fist pumping a little bit thinking like, okay, he put on 40 pounds and he's still a very similar player, you know, I think so. We'll just have to see, but, but yeah, definitely the guy, you know, ranking obviously uh, is the guy that's, that's a high floor type kid with, with the potential for much more. The other edge of the class is Americ Kumba, who's from France. So, so Mark Gregor will be very pumped about this, but he's like, <laughs> he's not even ranked as like, I came to the United States and I went to a high school. And so now I'm like ranked in Florida. He's 24 sevens, number one recruit in the country of France, <laughs> which is, uh, I mean, it's apparently got a seven, one wingspan. He has all the athletic traits that you would make for an elite edge six, four, two thirty right now. A guy who's just inside, outside the top 800. So a guy who is being ranked pretty much exclusively on athletic ability. And sometimes we see these guys work out. Um, Halty Froholt was a very good offensive lineman for Arkansas. Ah. But uh, uh, Julius Welshoff has not done a whole lot at Michigan. So it's just a lottery ticket with a lot of upside. But absolutely no floor at all. <laughs> it goes right into the basement. So we actually... When he fr- yeah, actually it's still it is still there. They did never they never it didn't change on his uh it says France France as far as where he's from because like, they don't rank guys. We don't normally rank guys from France. So it says France, comma Fran. Yeah uh, for where he's from, right? Um another guy that Mike Elson saw live and pretty much offered on the spot, you know, and I think he's, I'd say he's a, just a slightly more refined, like, you know, Welshoff had all the athletic ability, right. But it, it never really has come to fruition as far as, uh, you know, playing up front. I think they feel like he's a little bit more polished. I know uh, two things with this one. I know Vanderbilt offered not too long before Michigan offered uh, Barton Simmons used to be our national sort of the director of scouting for 24 seven is at Vandy. Now I, I know Vanderbilt felt, really, really good about, about his potential. Um, you know, and I know Vanderbilt maybe has to take a few more chances than a school like Michigan does, but, but still, uh, you know, a guy that they really liked when they saw him in person. And then also um, Cooper Patagna, Patagna are, are one of our scouting directors now uh, did take the trip overseas to see all of Brandon Collier's uh, PPI guys, Brandon Collier, kind of a, liaison for a lot of international recruits and Kumba he came out thinking Kumba was one of the two top guys that he saw on that trip along with uh get out of Germany a 24 linebacker I think he committed to Maryland but either way you know yeah we gave him an 88 which is yeah pretty solid for a guy that you know hasn't really is playing in France France you know so <laughs> so <laughs> You know, but but I actually think my personal thought is I think Kumba is going to be a popular sleeper pick for a lot of people. I think I think just the 
I think his, I can't remember, his wingspan might even be longer than Etta's, actually. And uh, uh, So Collier actually tweeted out today some of his, his personal right? stats. 6'5", 250, 7'1", wingspan, 4'7", 40, shuttle that's just above 4.0, 6.883 cone, 10'5", broad jump. Those are apparently very impressive. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I know the seven-foot wingspan is pretty legit, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be a popular pick sleeper but again definitely not a year one guy right he's this my pick. guy he's my pick for the guy who shows up 42nd on bruce feldman's freaks list this year sure yeah he takes over welsh ups takes over welsh ups <laughs> yeah like, yeah it's like the, the bonus one that we get because we give at feldman all the access he could possibly want for that piece absolutely so that but but you i mean you could very well be right though i mean i could see it because i think again that athleticism and just that frame is what drew Michigan to him in the first place. So, um, yeah, definitely will be a sleeper pick from somebody, and and but it won't be a guy that we'll see for a couple of years for sure. All right, moving on to linebacker Samaj Bridgman out of Imhotep Institute in Philly. Uh, come into play inside linebacker, 6'2", 230, ranked exactly 300th in the country. Um, two-way athlete in high school, a guy who uh, – had a quote unquote Alabama offer, you know, uh, probably a legit Florida State offer. Uh, visited Rutgers, <laughs> uh, but he's also a, a big target of, of Penn State. So a pretty good heist out of Pennsylvania. So of of maybe any guy in the class uh, will be one of the more interesting ones for me because I, I think so. So Michigan had offered him. They didn't really recruit him too hard coming out of the gate. I think he released a top group that didn't include Michigan. George Hilo went and saw him during, I think it was spring eval, went and saw him in person. And then Michigan amped up the heat considerably after that. And I think they were another guy they got to see in person that they were super, super impressed with. Um, You know, this will be a good eval test, in my opinion, for Hilo in the linebacker position because – yeah, like you said, Brian, the the quote unquote Alabama offer. I mean, yeah, Alabama. I don't think was really recruiting him that hard. Um, I don't even know if Penn State was going that hard on him. Honestly, I, they they were for a while, but I'm not sure if it finished that way. But the size looks legit. I don't know if you guys saw the picture of his in home visit. I mean, he's taller than Harbaugh was. Um, he looked like a big dude, and and looks. And the other thing Michigan was really impressed with was how quickly he moved at that size. So could definitely be a guy that ends up being a stud for them. Uh, it's just, I think they would be going against the evals of a few other programs for that to happen, which, I mean, if we're being honest, Michigan has done a good job in those situations in the past. So, you know, he'll, he'll be, to me, he'll be one of the better litmus tests for that theory, uh, you know, in this cycle. It's weird. That the sites agree with Harbaugh on this one because they're all like four star, four star, four star. And then the, right. like, yeah, right. it, yeah. Other definite inside linebacker in the class is Hayden Moore, a recent flip from Nebraska, ranked in, uh, we'll call it Michigan State Territory at 111, not 111, 1,119 in in the class, but had an absolutely ridiculous number of tackles, something like 170 last year. Um, And say what you want about Nebraska, but if Ernest Hausman's any indication they can ID some Nebraska from linebacker talent, yeah, and so this was one I think, you know, they were Michigan was ex- as excited about this flip as they were a lot of the guys in this class because 
before he committed to Nebraska, uh, Michigan had offered, there was a group of schools that offered him in a very short amount of time. And Michigan worked super, super hard to get him to campus and, and just couldn't quite seal the deal. And then he, he committed to Nebraska uh, before ever having come to Michigan. Scott Frost stuff happens. Uh, Matt Rule comes in. They make, they make more priority, try to hang on to him. Uh, Michigan tried, like I said, tried getting him on campus for like six months. Well, then they get him up two weekends in a row. Uh, he visited unofficially, not this past weekend, the weekend before, visited officially over this last weekend and, and were able to seal the deal. So, yeah, between the Hausman edition and then you get more, and like we mentioned, Bridgman especially, Michigan's linebacker room feels a little bit better than it did a couple weeks ago uh, for the next couple seasons. So, you know, yeah, prolific player. Michigan loves the dual sport guys. Moore had legitimate baseball offers. Uh, he's a legit dual dual uh, sport athlete. Uh, you know, so I think Michigan getting a guy that another one. I mean, yeah, if they if they were ranking guys, I think they'd feel like he should be higher than what he is. Um, you know, you look at some of the cities these guys are playing in. I mean, you know, like you know, Aurora, Colorado, probably not have super heavily scouted by our our twenty four seven sports guys. So you know, I don't know if our Blair Angulo, I think our West Coast guy, how many times he's even seen Hayden Moore in person. But, uh, you know, another one, though, that Michigan, you know, the minute things went south with Scott Frost, Michigan was all over it. And I don't think they went in necessarily knowing or feeling like they were going to get a flip or anything come out of it. Uh, But when they started to get some momentum, yeah, then they really, you know, put the pedal to the metal and and were able to get it done. And the other school jumping in was Texas A&M. So... Correct. And he liked his, actually, he liked his visit. Yeah. He liked his visit, the unofficial to Michigan so much. He was supposed to official to A&M last weekend. Right. And again, I don't know, maybe A&M's, and I'm sure A&M probably signed a few really good linebackers today, Uh, but he canceled that visit instead to go to Michigan. And that's, you know, like I said, that's when we knew it was like, you know, you're coming up two weekends in a row, probably a good chance for the flip. So. Yeah, and A&M needs to sign a lot of linebackers because they're going to have 25 guys in the portal next year, too. Yep. <clears throat> All right, Jason Hewlett is one of the more interesting guys uh, just in terms of like what he's going to do. He's six foot four, 220 pounds. He's played everywhere in, in high school. And you see your 6'2", 6'4", 220, and you're like, okay, Josh Uche, edge type. But he's told your guys at 24-7 that Michigan wants him to play sort of a Viper position, like a safety linebacker, hybrid space backer kind of thing, which if he can do it six, four, it seems like a, a pretty good deal. He's I think Hewlett's the other guy that's going to be a popular sleeper pick because of his, at because of that athleticism. Also a guy uh, missed, I don't know if it was all, but almost all of his junior season with a broken leg too. junior season, always when kids blow up, his recruitment could have been totally different if he had had a completely healthy junior season. But to be honest, I'm, I'm surprised there weren't more schools that got involved with him. Uh, and I think maybe if you guys agree, big picture wise, I think these, and because we've only, we've talked about a couple of them, like these high ceiling Ohio guys could really end up dictating how we look back on this class someday because Calhoun's a pretty high, high floor guy, but the other three are guys that are, major, major high ceiling, like guys that could turn out to be really good players, you know? So I think Michigan, they, these are the types of guys they've developed in the past. Um, you know, and to me, Hewlett, I don't know, it's tough because Waller's got a lot of ability too. Uh, but Hewlett is a guy. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's where I would put him. Brian, I think he could play wide. They've talked about, you know, he can see there's a lot of wide receiver film out, out there on him. Um, you know, the, the guy's got tons and tons of ability, 
but yeah, I think he he actually might be the end up being the most popular sleeper pick though, based on where he's rated and ranked. And uh, a guy that yeah would be very fascinating to see not only when he makes an impact, but where he makes it at. Yeah, so his his high school film up on Huddle is a complete mishmash of him doing everything. It's crazy, yeah. So, yeah, he, he's uh, the very definition of someone who gets ranked as an athlete. Uh, the other guy sort of in this bin is Breon Ishmael, also out of Cincinnati, also a guy that Michigan flipped from Cincinnati, uh, I believe, uh, ranked in the 1100s to 6'4", 220, a guy who played a lot of wide receiver, linebacker, edge. You know, he could play that Uche role. He could be a hybrid guy. He could be an offensive player. No one really knows where to project him, and that sometimes that holds a guy's ranking back. So Michigan actually, when they tweeted out his letter of intent today, said this athletic edge is now a Wolverine. So I think we at least know where they want to start him, or at least that where they their mind is with him. That's where I think he has the best chance. Um Cincinnati, not a bad program, honestly, under Fickle, not a bad program to pluck a couple of guys to because they've produced some really good defensive players over the last few years. Uh, I think I think Ishmael is an edge eventually, um, you know, and another guy, super long, athletic. Uh, you know, I think he's the type of guy that could could really get to the quarterback consistently. It was almost fascinating to see that he and um, Hewlett are listed at the, at the same 6'4", 220 uh, when they're kind of they're pretty different players uh in my opinion when you turn them on so yeah but but Michigan already looks like they like him as an edge they they told us basically we were told as defensive athlete for both of those guys um you know I think Hewlett maybe more potential could be a guy offensively too but I think they both do project defensively but yeah another like to me another super high ceiling guy and to me a guy totally worth um going in on trying trying to trying to pull on campus all right, in the secondary, another kid out of Cincinnati, Cam Calhoun, six foot one seventy, ranked just inside the top five hundred on the twenty four sorts composite. Another one of those uh, high three star types. Uh, I should correct myself; they did not flip uh, Ismail from Cincinnati. Calhoun is the other kid they flipped from Cincinnati. So, apologies for that. But a big rangy corner who's uh, got the athletic profile to be, you know, high three-star. You know, this is one of those position groups where you can find guys like Jamon Green kind of deeper, but even even Green was a four-star. And, uh, you know, to it's, it's really just all about can you turn and run, I think. And he has solid measurables, but not great ones. He's one that's going to have to put on some weight, right? Uh, 170, probably not going to cut at the college level. This was another one I think Michigan was really – so they they offered Calhoun and they offered his teammate, Jermaine Matthews, who I believe probably, I'm assuming, signed today with Ohio State. Uh, Matthews is much higher ranked. I think they're – Matthews is really good. Like he deserves to be ranked where he is. I, I think the two of them are closer than what the ranking suggests, at least as far as potential goes. Uh, Kentucky was strong after Calhoun. I think a couple other schools came in as well. Uh, but, but he's one, I, I think Michigan looks at him as a high floor guy. I think they, they just need to get the weight on him. Right. So, you know, not quite a four star, but, but I think he's another player. I think I wouldn't be surprised if he's starting at some point in his career. Uh, Link scale, one of the better eyes for talent, I think on the staff, honestly. So, you know, to go in on, cause they actually thought they had a shot with Jermaine Matthews for a minute. Um, Ohio state kind of put an end to that one, but Either way, uh, you know, I think Calhoun's a guy I think they look at as a, a high floor guy once he gets 
to the physical spot that they, they need him to get to. <clears throat> Another kid out of Ohio, Dewan Waller Jr. out of Youngstown, 6'3", 195, ranked in the 1200s. Uh, but you've already brought him up on this podcast as a guy with a big ceiling. So I don't like guys who are like 85, 86. I don't ever feel like pick them as sleepers because it's too easy to say that they could outdo their ranking. I, I think though, I think Waller's a guy that many will pick. They they like him at corner. That's where we have him listed. I think that's where Michigan want that. That's where they're hoping he becomes a guy. Yeah, I mean th- he's another one. He might have the highest ceiling of the three guys that we've talked about. Uh, like I said, Calhoun more of a high floor guy in my opinion. But Waller six three one ninety five. You know if you can get something out of a kid of that size at corner, which like I said they think they can. You know you're you're cooking. Um, and so. Another guy, Kentucky was pretty much the primary competition there. Kentucky's, well, with clink scale there, I don't know what they've done since then, but they've produced some good defensive backs over the years. Another school that you don't mind recruiting guys like this uh, against. And and a guy, yeah, like like I said, I think these guys will dictate how this cycle, particularly defensively, will be looked back upon. But like Waller, Ishmael, and, and Hewlett are all three, like very, like I said, very similar in just the <sighs> – projectiveness i don't know if i give you a, a word but you know and uh jr hill uh, is not as of this moment committed to michigan his the crystal ball is 100 percent in favor of michigan despite some uh instant uh, twitter hijinks i guess and so we're just gonna talk about him in the eventuality he does end up in the class 6-1-170 ranked just inside the top 200 a guy that michigan went head to head against washington and illinois to go get and uh you know ryan walters uh was actually favored to lock him down but then he takes the purdue job opens the door for michigan and at this point if ryan walters wants a defensive back i'm i'm all in that's all i need to hear 100 percent. i mean you think about what he did with uh where there's the guy yeah maybe the one of the best players michigan played against this season regardless of position uh yeah i mean i think hill gave some thought to purdue after Walters took that job, right? So, yeah, this we talk about Michigan and Illinois recruiting against each other. This was easily the most contentious battle between the two schools because Illinois legitimately, um, again, pr- this is provided he commits to Michigan, which we're expecting him to do. But, you know, this was a, the biggest battle between Illinois and Michigan. Uh, one thing that, you know, I know Sam really, uh, Sam went down and saw him that, that one thing he kept pointing out that, that I think clearly kept Illinois in the race is, uh, you know, you think Illinois, you automatically think Chicago, but Kankakee is a, a smaller town. And I think there was question about, you know, Ann Arbor versus Champaign as far as maybe being somewhere where the spotlight isn't as bright, you can, a little more of a low-key type situation for the athletes, but a place where you could still be developed and, and you know, produce. So, you know, fascinating recruitment, though, because, you know, Michigan did not catch many breaks when you see how good Illinois turned out to be this season um, and how good their defense was, how good their defensive backfield was across the board, not just with with Witherspoon. I mean, they were really one of the better pass defenses in the country. So, you know, not like this time last year, if you just said we thought Illinois would be the major major factor against Michigan for Jair Hill, we probably wouldn't have believed you, but um, you know, credit to them for putting themselves in the position. But yeah, this was one we labeled as a must win just because Michigan needs corners in this class. It was one of the biggest needs. And, and Hill was, by and large, the best guy they were recruiting for a while. I mean, there were some other bigger names they recruited, but I don't think we're ever really huge factors for. 
you know, so Hill gives them a guy if he can if he can if the football knowledge is there, the, he could be a year one guy for them. I mean, he, the athleticism is already there and not yeah, in I'm, question. I'm uh, worried because he didn't play cornerback in high school. He was playing free safety. And actually, I think yep. Illinois was looking at him there, too. So there's a there's a mix at all the schools that looked at him, whether they wanted him free safety or cornerback. He seems like a guy who could play either one of them. And the thing about that guy is just the vibes. He's he made he became best friends with Denard Robinson. I think that pretty much says who he is. Yeah. No, he's going to be like, again, I think you're right, though, Seth. That's why I said the football knowledge, I think, is going to be the big question here, because he's a guy I think he's like a shoe in to be on special teams because of his athleticism right off the bat. You know what I mean? One of those guys. So if he figures out the football side of things, uh, you know, then he could be seeing the field next year. Yeah, and that's everybody currently committed in the class. Just briefly, uh, so Michigan will try to get a couple guys in the late signing period. Uh, Are they still heavily recruiting Jamel Howard, another Wisconsin defensive line decommit? And how do things look for Nichols Harbor? So, yeah, Howard and Harbor, I think, are the two – Really big names. Um, they're still trying to flip. I don't know if Aaron Gates ended up signing with Florida today. He's supposed to the corner. That was that, one that another one that Michigan today. So we're is it okay? Yeah, that was one Michigan worked really hard on, but I think he's going to stick with Florida. Um, Harbor, Michigan, Maryland, and then South Carolina. Actually, kind of the other program that's been consistently mentioned there. I, I don't, I don't know why necessarily. I don't know what the connection is there, but he seems to really vibe with their coaching staff. It's a bit, that's a hard one to handicap right now. I mean, I think for a long time you'd say Michigan, and and when you start it like that, you usually <laughs> usually felt like it was going to be Michigan for a while, and then. Um, but but I do think Michigan still has a really good shot there. Um, really, I don't know. Like, where does he project? I, I think he's a tight end. I, that's where I would play him if he was willing. Or I mean, I think he'd be best at edge. But he's talked about playing offense. I think he'd much be much more productive at a tight end type in line tight end type spot than at actual receiver but you know the epitome of a guy you take and figure it out later and then Jamel Howard yeah big time target still uh interesting that he delayed I don't know if he was always going to delay I think Wisconsin's actually made some inroad made some inroads back in that one but but he's your plug in the middle right he's your He's not as good as Kenneth Grant was coming out of high school for sure. Uh, but that similar role, though, it got a run stopper, a, a plug in the middle. Uh, we've seen how valuable those can be for Michigan up front. And, and it's really a spot they've made much more as an emphasis than the last defensive staff. So, um, yeah, those are really the guy, only guys I can think of right now that are legitimate targets still. And, and you know, question is, if they like if Howard starts leaning towards Wisconsin, do they try to find another guy or, or you know, what direction do they go from there? But uh, yeah, very, a very nice, stress-free signing day for the most part for Michigan and a very concentrated group to try to finish out with. All right. Thank you for joining us, Steve. We're going to take a break, come back, and Steve will have to go to another radio station, and we will talk about the portal class. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people 
people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle, whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Welcome back to a very special signing day edition of the MGO Blog Podcast. I'm joined by Seth Fisher and uh, Alex Drain. Maybe this segment they will get to talk. How you doing, guys? <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's hard when you got Steve uh, like to be like, "Hey, uh, here's my thoughts on recruiting." <laughs> all right, but before before we get to that, we need an update on the situation for Fiesta Bowl tickets through Ticket IQ, Seth. Yes, yes. So. Uh, I've been going on their site checking the um, the both the playoff games. I was going to talk about a championship ticket, but then I saw this one pop up. Section four fifty two row six is popped under four hundred dollars. So there are a lot of seats that are available because um, they got bought up by brokers beforehand, and they are they're going to want to make their money back, but they were trying to keep it high for a while. Once they break that four hundred dollar line, you're going to see them coming down. This one intrigued me because it's not 
it's in the middle, but it's uh, it's pretty close, and it's only row six up near the top. So that's the kind of thing you should be looking for. The trick is if you go on the left side, sort by best deal, and you can find a lot of those. Um, and the price that it says on there is the price you pay. Right. So in addition to Michigan's recruiting class, we now have to actually talk about a portal class which I think is extremely different from anything that's ever happened in Michigan history. So last year they get Olu Oluwatimi as a transfer. They get um, not Zach Gentry, Andrew Gentry, mm-hmm. Andrew Gentry, but that's more of a recruiting thing because he hadn't actually enrolled in school. And they also pick up Cam Good, a depth DT. So, you know, you can be like, oh, well, not this guy or that guy. Michigan currently has seven commits out of the transfer portal. And when all is said and done, they'll probably have at least eight because I assume that they're going to add a cornerback. So this is a brand new world. And a lot of people are wondering if this actually signals sort of a shift in what Michigan is able to do in the portal for undergrads, which has been sort of a long time bugaboo. And I know that you put up a post that was kind of like, I don't really know about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's two things that happened. One, the, the pool in general is bigger. They're just way more players in the portal. So if Michigan has certain guys, and this is what they've always done, there are certain guys that they will jump on if they're there, right? If there's an Olu, they're going to go. If there's a guy that they recruited before in a position that they need, like Josiah Stewart or whatever, like they're going to jump on that. And it's just because the total number of people in the portal have gone up. There are more guys who fit that kind of narrow band of what Michigan's specifically looking for. And at the same time, there was just a lot of duh here. Like the... Two of those guys played for Stanford. Shaw retired, and Michigan exists. Like that's that's a pre- and they're off the line. So if Michigan was willing to take them, that it makes sense for those guys to like look at Michigan first because Olulatimi is leaving. You're the best center in the Pac-12. Why would you? Well, so just in here? terms of just in terms of admissions, like they've been able to take guys early in their college careers because yeah. it's not like always catch up. Even if you've been to school for one semester and Ernest Hausman was only at Nebraska for one semester. Right. And Stanford guys, whatever, you know, Barner and Tuttle, I believe are both grad transfers. Ladarius Henderson's a grad transfer. The one that does kind of stand out is Josiah Stewart. Yeah. Who's had two years at coastal Carolina. Well, and three semesters. <clears throat> so it, okay. it's, and, and it's really kind of a curve. Like when you look at what you're just, Imagine your collegiate career, right? You start taking a whole bunch of introductory courses. Introductory courses are much more likely to transfer over. You have to find a one-for-one. And the other thing is you have to have at least, I think, 50% of your – or like at least 60 credits uh, at Michigan. It's a little more convoluted than that, and it depends on the school, but that's the general gist. So even if it's your sophomore year, if you're transferring right after your third semester at a school – that's a lot easier than maybe the fourth semester when you start to take a couple 300-level courses, or fifth semester, it's almost impossible. Okay. So that out of the way, Michigan is clearly able to do some things in the portal. And uh, we'll talk about each guy in, in some detail. Uh, quarterback Jack Tuttle, um, he'll be Alan Bowman. I think that's probably all the <laughs> detail we need for that one. I thought we were going to go in great detail on Jack Tuttle. <laughs> everyone's everyone's excited. Uh, no, I mean, there's not much to say here. He started at Utah for one year. He was pretty highly rated once upon a time, then ended up at Indiana. And then every time he get to play at Indiana, he'd get hurt. <laughs> and that's just kind of the story of his career. He'd, he'd come in for someone who gets hurt, and then he'd get hurt. Do you uh, know why he was highly rated? 
He was passing to Chris Olave in high school. They're the same class at the same school. Well, that'll do it. Yeah. So yeah, I... uh, the one thing that I have seen uh, from some discontent Indiana bloggers is they're talking about how everybody in the locker room loved Jack Tuttle and loved A.J. Barner. I mean, and that's pretty obvious in Barner's case because he was a, a captain this year and he still has two years of eligibility remaining. But Tuttle is you know, not a guy who you would think would come up a whole lot in, in discussions about locker room dudes, but he does. So if he's just going to be a really good dude who's building a, a Rolodex so he can go into coaching, that's great. And it's good to have another veteran quarterback around to like, you know, guide J.J. McCarthy. But I don't think we're going to see him on the field unless things get very dire. We hope uh, not to see him. I mean, it's just they needed a body, right? Like they lose Cade and they lose uh, Bowman off the depth chart. You're only bringing in maybe Kendrick Bell. You just you needed a body. That's kind of it. Yeah. Uh, the other Indiana transfer will be much more prominent tight end. AJ Barner coming off a 28 catch season. He was an Indiana captain. Uh, you know, we, we do the thing where we look for all the, the pro football focused stuff. And he's like, you know, he's a middling big 10 tight end has, uh, two years left if he takes his COVID year. So that's interesting. And he'll slot into what was going to be the Eric all slot where he'll be T two behind Colston Loveland. He's more of an inline guy, which Michigan needs, uh, a guy who's going to be able to, you know, dig out some defensive ends and then go downfield as sort of a, a sidelight to what he does. But, you know, given Michigan's offensive approach, even though you're bringing back Loveland and Max Bredesen and you have Hibner, who might break through next year, you just need a fourth guy. And, and they didn't really have an option there. So Barner comes in and he'll probably be the number two guy. Yeah, and he's got a uh, a contested catch against Ohio State and his on um <laughs> on his highlight reel. It's just always you like to see. I mean, the thing is he got he ends up in a Walt Bell offense last year. So like you know, they're they're putting him out wide all the time. He's spending most of his time in the slot blocking for these, you know, ridiculous screens that they throw. And one thing they like to do is just start moving him across. And it's, it's funny, I it's hard to like, you know, get into a guy's head, but like you can see him relishing the opportunities to finally get back in the box whenever they actually put him in motion, bring him back in again, because he's just it's it's boring out there. Right. Like the in, in the whole Walt Bell offense doesn't really want to use tight ends. Um, so I, I think that he's going to have <laughs> he's he's going to have fun coming back to Michigan. And like you said, like he was, you know, he was a captain his third year in the program. So. Sorry to Indiana because I'm sure they love the guy and he's been starting uh, for two years and kind of got on the field his freshman year and um, actually did a little bit of damage against Michigan uh, a couple years ago. I know no one remembers that game, but that that night game against Indiana in the cold, Tuttle was like, or sorry, Barner was the only thing they really had going for them. I mean, you you scouted him, Alex. So what did you think about AJ Barner when you're going over Indiana tape? I mean, the big thing was what Seth is describing. They just didn't use tight ends. Like, that's just not a part of their offense. I mean, they threw the fades to Cam Camper this season, which we saw against Indiana. And then I think, like, their number two and number three receivers by catches, or maybe three and four, were both their running backs, Sean Shivers and uh, Henderson, the other guy. So it's just not an offense that was really conducive to what a tight end can be, but Seemed, I mean, he seemed solid enough. I mean, he was just a guy that on the depth chart, it was kind of like, oh, he's there. And then now he's going to go to an offense where he's going to be featured and where they have more of a track record. So I would assume Michigan can get, you know, quite a bit more out of him just because it's going to be, 
a better setup. Yeah, he was sixth uh, in catches on their team. Yeah, he didn't come so. off the field except for he couldn't he couldn't play in the Michigan game this year. Um, but like otherwise, like they they did not like their other tight ends uh, and pretty much left him on the field all the time. But you know they left him spread all the way out to the other side, then decided to start throwing screens to whatever. So it's hard to it's hard to really get a gauge of what he is based off of, you know looking at a tight end at a Walt Bell offense. But I mean, if you're looking at terms of opportunities to catch passes, he'll probably have about the same at Michigan mm-hmm. because while he'll be on the field more often and there won't be so many wide receiver screens, Michigan's probably not going to throw nearly as much as Indiana did. So <clears throat> if he picks up 20, 25 catches next year, I think that's a pretty good benchmark for him. I do think it's interesting that they had a couple of other tight ends that they were looking at, but as soon as it looked like they were going to get Barner, they were just like, okay, we'll get him and we're done. So that's a pretty encouraging just sort of vibe from the coaching staff. It seems like they appreciated him. Yeah. Uh, the offensive line guys, there's three in this class. Um, <clears throat> two of them have extensive starting experience and have graded out very well. Ladarius Henderson out of Arizona state um, has played mostly guard for them. Uh, and is a guy who some NFL draft projections have in the first round. So he's a guy who's, very physical, looks like he fits right in on Michigan's line. And the two questions for Ladarius Henderson are, can he play tackle? Um, and does Zach Sinter go to the pros? So, Because right. <laughs> if, if Zach Sinter's out the door, then I think you just plug Henderson in at right guard and pretend that nothing else happened. If, if Zinter comes back, then you're trying to fit this guy on the field, maybe at right tackle. Um, or left tackle. Left tackles, what they're talking about, yeah. I mean, he, he seems like a guy who, like, once he gets the NFL, yeah, he's going to be in the interior OL. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of college teams who play guys who are NFL offensive guards at tackle because they're still really good offensive linemen. And to I saw a lot of people associated with Arizona State absolutely shocked that he decided to go to college because he had major NFL draft prospects. So that's, that's, a, that's a major pickup. Yeah, yeah I mean – yeah, the, the Zinter thing, I think, just to toss in that the fact they've gotten three offensive linemen, I think, maybe hints a little bit which way that one is trending and maybe not in Michigan's favor, but we'll see. I mean, Henderson, it's just kind of a question of where he's going to play, especially now after you pick up Miles Hinton, who will also compete in the tackle role. And there's a lot of moving pieces right now on this line, and that's the advantage of having a guy like Henderson where – he could potentially play at both positions. So you're kind of insulated from NFL draft and other things, and you can plug in different guys. And, and I was trying to concoct a depth chart for next year, and it's just kind of hard yeah. right now. Because, I got mad at you like, when you uh, did that because you put – um, yeah, you didn't even put the current starter. You didn't even put Barnhart at right tackle. I'm like, no, no, we're going to get emails. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's there's just a lot of pieces yeah. right now. I mean, this is the, – the OL depth at the moment, barring transfers and other NFL – you know, things is, is crazy deep at the moment. Right. I, I, I want to point out, like we, we mentioned earlier in this, uh, in this podcast about like how Michigan trusts their measurements, right? Like the length, Ladarius Henderson has length. So he's, I, I don't want to just like pigeonhole him at guard. Um, I do know Arizona state fans and like, they don't get to grade their offensive linemen and stuff. So you don't see this very often with fan bases. They were very clear that he was the best player on their team, and not just because he was getting first-round hype. Like, there are, there are highlights 
for Darius Henderson at ASU. And I like their whole program is imploding right now, but it was a particularly rough day when he was going to be leaving because, like, like Brian said, like they thought he was going to go to the NFL, not another team. I don't know, man. Like this guy, you can even look at him as a center if you, you know, if Nugent doesn't work out. But like Michigan, when they say that he can play left tackle, I don't think they're just saying, you know, Runyon, right? I think that they're saying this guy could be a left tackle because he's got the size and, you know, he's probably going to be one of the best linemen in the country. Well, I got to defend Runyon here because he was an all Big Ten left tackle. I, yeah, I'm just saying. So, he was... And then he got he got drafted by the NFL, and now he's a guard in the NFL. But you can you can be a very good offensive tackle in in the uh, NCAA ranks, and then be an NFL guard. That's not really a problem. Yeah. Anyway, Drake Nugent, the aforementioned center out of Stanford, has started the past two years. Has uh, I would say good to excellent pro football focus uh, grades. And we, we all know that we've had kind of a love hate relationship with those, but in these cases, it's like, well, what else are we going mm-hmm. <laughs> like, to, who, who else is even in the, in the field? Uh, but anyway, Nugent, um, I, I do think that the fact that I think he's given up two pressures in the last 800 snaps he's had is a real thing. So he's not as big as, as uh, Oluwatimi. He's not as powerful. Um, I think he will probably have about the same level of smarts because, you know, Stanford center playing in, in uh, uh, David Shaw offense. He's coming to Michigan. Nothing is going to be that different. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he's also a Stanford center. So I think in terms of the mental side, he'll he'll be well prepared. And the interesting thing about Nugent is he has two years left. So if he is not a huge NFL prospect, Michigan might be able to plug him in for the next two years. And that's always something that you look forward to. Is year two from a starting center. Yeah, the I mean, Nugent, I mean, this is the second time Nugent's been mentioned on this podcast because I mentioned him mid-season when we were like looking at Stanford falling apart and like, hey, maybe we should grab that guy in the portal when Olu's gone. Um, and the thing about Pro Football Focus's ratings is like one of our problems with them is that they don't really know what kind of offense they're looking at. So like they'll start grading Michigan and Michigan State the same, even though Michigan they're not really crediting Michigan's players for the level of difficulty of their blocks. Well, Stanford runs the same offense that Michigan does. He was making a lot of the same blocks that Olu was expected to make and graded out exactly the same as Olu. So I, it's it's much more of a one-for-one comparison. I don't know. I don't like to look at the final score, but like when I look at, okay, how are they ranking interior linemen on power offenses, uh, the fact that Nugent stood out, especially in his pass pro, is um, – you know that that tells you something, right? It doesn't necessarily mean he's awesome, but he doesn't suck. And you know, I I know Greg Crippen has been coming along forever and took a red shirt this year, but you know, it, anytime you can get a guy who is a plausible Remington candidate, and he was on the Remington watch list at least the beginning of this year, then you take that. I found the uh, Pro Football Focus stat: it's 993 pass block snaps, two quarterback hits allowed. <laughs> so. That's probably real. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's probably some instances where Pro Football Focus isn't getting a stunt right or whatever. Uh, cause, but for that rate of uh, pass block success, uh, I, I think that has to be something that is something that you can rely on. The yeah. other state, go ahead. No, I mean, this is just a, a lead into the Miles Hinton conversation because there was a lot of talk about the PFF grades and stuff. The thing with them, especially having now gone through the year and, and you know, charting games and comparing the PFF grades, like 
Wait, their OL grades have problems. What I find is that their extremes are still pretty fine, right? That like if there's a guy that they're like, this dude is a turnstile, he's a turnstile. Mm-hmm. And if there's a guy where they're like, this dude is awesome, then he's probably awesome. It's the it's the uh, the like the 50 to 70 ish range where I feel like a lot of times they're off. Um, and so in Nugent's case, he's racking up in like what, 88, I think was his grade this year, close to Olu. Like mm. he probably aren't messing that one up. And the same thing is kind of true for Miles Hinton last year, where he's in like the 30s to 40s. And Generally speaking, when you see that, it's kind of like, ooh. <laughs> Whereas right. this year, it was it was better on uh, for him. But I think that's that's the way I would look at the PFF thing. Yeah. So he had the eighth highest grade of all centers and was the fourth highest in run blocking. So for whatever that's worth, and that's a really I think that's a hard situation to really grade out well in. You know, it's not that hard for me to give Zinter a half point when he and Olu are blowing a guy off the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, because those are two very good guys working in tandem. The guys next to Drake Nugent, not very good. So to be able to grade out like that in that kind of scenario, I think is good. Now, Miles Hinton, as Alex just mentioned, his uh, PFF grades from the 21 season were abominable. And he spent this year kind of in and out of the lineup. He was clearly not full go for big portions of the season and his his rankings did come up to like average ish but i don't think we should be looking at this like we look at nugent and henderson where we're just kind of plugging them directly into the starting lineup you know hinton's coming here to compete he also has two years so uh i think michigan has trente jones they have carson barnhart i don't think those guys are necessarily going to get bumped out of the starting lineup here very easily because you know if you had to ask, like, which guy do I think has the biggest upside? It's definitely Miles Hinton. Miles Hinton is six foot seven, was a former five star. But Michigan had a very good line with both Trent A. Jones and Carson Barnhart playing this year. And I don't necessarily think that you're just going to plug Hinton directly into the lineup. Yeah, I, I was watching. I, so I, got, I watched a couple Stanford games, um, and then I watched a, a 2021 game last night. And. I think that he was played too early in 21, that he probably just wasn't ready yet. And, like, they just, okay, we got a five-star. We have to play him, I guess. Um, and then last year, he was playing hurt most of the year. So, like, I tried to watch him early in the season. He looked a lot more agile. And then he was kind of make a go of it. And then Stanford season kind of went in the dumps. And then he shut it down for the last three games. It was kind of like the story of last season. And I'm pretty sure it was, a, um, it was debilitating him. So I don't want to treat him too harshly. But this guy needs a reset. Like he, I, I, I the the best thing you could possibly do for uh, Miles Hinton is probably like maybe redshirt him this year, or just like have him competing and give him like a, give him a year in a system that's not in a program that's not kind of like falling apart and where he's not the guy and not like the pressures on him to be like the five star who's gonna save the program, where he's just like another guy in the line because you know you're gonna lose Barnhart and Jones. Next year, probably uh, just graduation. Um, you got Percy coming up. You got some other guys coming up at tackle. But he would be a great guy who, I mean, maybe, maybe he's your Yabi Oki this year, right? Like where he kind of comes along during the season. Maybe you need him later, later and you could use him. But like after a year in the program, after he's kind of gotten that reset and after he's gotten used to the system, that could be a real explosion next year. Well, so the thing is, is so he 
comes in in the COVID year. He plays in four games in the COVID year, and then he's played extensively in 21 and 22. So I don't know if he has a red shirt now. Well, he's got the red shirt from that, right? So the COVID year just doesn't count. So the COVID so can year still doesn't use a count, redshirt. and he could redshirt next year and then have two years left to play if he wanted to. I don't know if the Hintons want to do that because, like, you remember Chris went to the NFL a little quick, too. Yeah, Chris, so. yeah, Chris like, left in a very kind of, like, I mean, I, I don't think I'd even call it a 50-50 decision. I don't think he got drafted, right? So, yeah, he did not. Yeah, I, so that might that have been of, a, I see Chris Jenkins coming behind me, and I need to get I don't, out of here. I don't know. I, <laughs> like, I was just really surprised that, yeah. like, Miles ended up committing to Michigan because the way his brother departed kind of felt like we don't really like this place. So maybe, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was just a little bit I mean, different. They, the Hintons have been at, the, I mean, at every tailgate, even after their sons graduate. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, so the the thing about Miles is, like, the red shirt and then play two years does make more sense from a roster standpoint. Hmm. I just I don't know if that's what he wants. Because these days, you know, you yeah. tell a kid you want to red shirt him, and he's like, I'm transferring right now. So. Yeah, and that, <clears throat> that, that that's the thing. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I can just look at the player and look at the film and be like, Okay, if you could give this guy an opportunity to get his feet under him again, then you'd be fine. But like you said, they threw him out there during the the COVID season, and then they threw him out there again in twenty one. Like I just just wasn't really ready. And then last year he was playing hurt. There's you could tell the major difference between like a the game against USC where he's got his feet under him and he's agile. He's like a, and then he's just not. He's just kind of unable to, to kick step really and he's just not able to drive people and like that was there's a big difference I think when he was hurt and I think he made a go of it because you know that you play hurt in college football all the time but once their season was falling apart it's like okay what am I doing here and just you know pulled the plug all right on the defensive side of the ball just two pickups but both of them seem pretty big Josiah Stewart out of Coastal Carolina is an edge who came in and I think he had 12 and a half sacks as a true freshman uh, got mentioned very high up on a lot of All America lists. Was you know a guy who's starting to generate a lot of buzz. This year had a bit of a come down. Ten tackles for loss, just three and a half sacks. But the thing is, is if you look at the Pro Football Focus pass rush grading, and again, pass rush is like I think one of the more straightforward things to grade. It's either did you get a pressure or not. Uh, his performance dropped off from a ninety but down to an 86. And I realize that Coastal's playing not exactly Big Ten levels of competition, but uh, if you told me, I mean, but that that's like at least, I guess it's not at least, but it is Mike Dana territory. Mike Dana was a pro football focus All-American the year before he transferred to Michigan. He comes in and he's playing behind uh, Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson, and he's pretty good. And he gets drafted in the third round. He's a real useful player. And if you can put a third-round NFL weak side defensive end on this defense, I think you're really cooking. Yeah, and I, I don't even think Dana is a good cop, even though he's kind of sized like Dana. Because Dana not, not yeah. Yeah, but, but like, yeah. I, I, mean, we use, I was using the term Tasmanian devil because, like, that's the style of play this guy has. And he also, the difference between his freshman year and these are true freshman year, by the way, and, and true sophomore year, is now he is the number one thing you scout when you play Coastal Carolina. So like they're they're giving guys help on him, and like when you go and see his um, his film, it's like they back out. There's a tight end helping, or like they, they pulled a guard to help as well, or something. Like they're they're giving him a lot of attention, and then he just comes through. 
So this is a guy who's got like the proverbial dip in his shoulder. It may not translate to the Big Ten as well as it did, you know, in the um, what are they the what is Coastal Carolina? Uh, Sunbelt, are they? Uh, they're AAC, I believe. Yeah, no, AAC. they are Sunbelt. They're, they're Sun, Sunbelt. They're Sunbelt. Okay. Uh... So either way, I don't know if that's going to translate as well to the Big Ten, um, but. You know, the dip is the dip, right? And when you can get your shoulder low, that's very hard for tackles to get their hands on. And that is a thing that Michigan has needed very badly. Like, Yobi Oki is, like, their best pass rusher, just natural pass rusher on the team. But he, he does it differently, right? He's going to use his length and make you can't get a hold of him. So, And then Derek Moore can shove a guy into the pocket. But you need a guy who can break loose, especially since they're probably losing um, Morris to the NFL. So, like... Yeah, I, I mean, I think that you're going to see more probably be more of a strong side guy next year. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. And, you know, there's going to be a wide open opportunity at that weak side end. Because it's like, yeah, we've seen McGregor flash. We've seen Oki flash. We haven't really seen anyone take control of the job. And, I mean, honestly, I was trying to look up some 2024 NFL draft lists. And, you know, he, like, Stewart popped up on a couple and was a potential first round pick, not a third rounder. And, <laughs> You know, for him to have two solid seasons where he's putting up pressures, maybe he didn't put up sacks last year, but he put up pressures, and I think that's more important, right? Yeah. Because sacks can be pretty random, but consistently beating the man across from you is not. And Stewart does that. I think he's got a higher established level of play than anyone that Michigan currently has at edge other than Morris. And, you know, I, th- I think of all the, the transfer pickups that Michigan's uh, gotten, his is probably the most important. Like, I think Ladarius Henderson is probably the best player they've gotten. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they didn't have Ladarius Henderson, they'd be fine on the offensive line. Right. Um, yeah, they, they get... hit a hole at weak side edge this year. And I didn't want to, you know, I Jalen Harrell, he was a, he's a good player, and he, he does what they ask him to do. But there were times when it was just like, we have to change our entire defense based off the fact that we cannot get natural pass rush, especially on third downs. Um, and, like, the whole – way they approached Ohio State this year was, you know, it worked, um, but it was a, you don't have to do, you don't want to be like, okay, let's get these guys to third and three and then see if they're going to pass it. Like that's, you would like to be able to get after them and put some pressure on the quarterback and they need that badly. So that's a big pickup. That was a big need in the portal to begin with. And to have a guy like Stewart, who they actually looked at as a recruit um, available to them was just kind of lucky. The other defensive player is Nebraska linebacker Ernest Hausman, who uh, transferred after a true freshman season where he started seven games, not because Nebraska wanted him to. Uh, Alex documented in his FFFF about how the linebacker play fell off significantly after one of their two starters went out, and that was often because Hausman came on the field. But if you look at his pro football focus grades over the course of his seven starts, he started off terribly. He had like 30s and 40s in his first two games. He gets to Michigan. He's actually one of their better-rated defensive players. He probably breaks uh, Donovan Edwards' hand on a thumping tackle in the first quarter. Um, and then he goes and plays the Wisconsin game, gets good reviews there. And when Michigan saw this guy was in the portal, they're like, we need him. And that was in a situation where if you know you get Michael Barrett back, you're too deep at linebackers. Yeah, decent. You have you have Nikai Hill Green presumably coming back. You have a sophomore version of Jimmy Rolder. Mm-hmm. You have Deuce Spurlock. That starts to be a, a depth chart that you're comfortable with. But <clears throat> Michigan clearly looked at 
this guy, they played against him and they were like, we highly prioritize him. And I think it's really interesting that until uh, the Jackson state kid hopped in the portal, he was the number one guy in it according to 24 seven. And I don't know really why that's the case. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, this is nothing against Houseman, but like he doesn't have the profile necessarily of a guy who would obviously be the number one uh, guy in the portal. Right. Because no, yeah. Travis, Travis Hunter from Jackson state was, was he the number one overall recruit? Yes. Yeah. He was the yeah, number like, one overall like recruit. that's, that, I mean, Houseman was from Columbus, Nebraska, which is a pretty small area, not really a recruiting hotbed. He was a three-star outside the top 500, if I remember correctly, like now a true freshman finishing his true freshman season. Like there's nothing there that says this guy is like, the number one transfer in the country, but that's not to say he isn't an interesting pickup because he saw the field. Uh, he had some moments, his game against Michigan. This is the interesting thing to me. That was his best game of the season, uh, like by far. And so I, I think that the Michigan coaches probably saw that and said, Hey, this guy can, can play. The other games were a lot more rocky, but look, when I was scouting Nebraska, I didn't think Houseman was very good, but, you can explain that away with true freshman playing a linebacker, right? Like yeah. that's all you need to, that's all you need to say that it explains it moving on. And he did enough in that little period to think he can get a lot better. Right. And like we saw last season with junior Colson in terms of a guy who just has no idea what's going on. And that, that's to some degree what Houseman had to battle because he's a true freshman starting at linebacker on a team that, fired their defensive coordinator midway through this season, mm -hmm. fired their head coach uh, during the season. Like in terms of the degree of difficulty of what was thrown on his plate, it was immense. And now he gets to go to Michigan. He doesn't necessarily have to start right away. Probably won't unless he really picks it up. And then you can kind of develop him from there. I mean, to me, this is kind of like trading for a prospect in a pro sport, right? Where, there's reason to believe there is a lot of potential here, but is not quite ready to be probably an impact starter, but give him a little more time, let him learn the system. And I think you could really have something exciting. So it, it's a nice pickup to me. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that makes sense there is that 24 seven is like accounting for years of eligibility, right? Yeah. Cause Ladarius Henderson and Drake Nugent are both in this class, much more established college players should be ranked ahead of Hausman. <clears throat> except Ladarius Henderson's going to be a one and done and Hausman could be around for up to four years if Michigan redshirts him. So yeah. maybe in that context, it makes sense, but yeah, there are, he's also got a lot of rankings. speed. Like they two, four, seven likes to look at guys like where, where are they going to go in the NFL? And like, they, they try to match their rankings to like how they, that, that level of um, recruit. And I mean, Hausman, you saw him like run down Coram a couple times in that game too. Like that was yeah. there. There were plays that he's that he made this season, which were like, okay, this guy, he, Junior Colson's pretty good comp. Um, I mean, that tackle yeah. on Donovan Edwards, I thought that play was going to get seven yards, and then I was like, well, what just happened? Yeah, because he came out. He was getting blocked. He came out of nowhere, and he's like, I'll drove the dude into the ground. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh. So yes. that's potential right there. Yeah, and people have asked about whether the transfer portal is a solution to recruiting issues, particularly with this class. And for the most part, I don't really think so. But in Houseman's case, I would say yes, because, you know, that's a guy that you can put a red shirt on and then see what you have later on. I mean, he's much closer to being a recruit than he is to being Oluolu Timmy, right? In terms of 
instant dude. So especially at the linebacker position where recruiting has been kind of uh, hit or miss recently. Like they got Colson, but they took a kind of flyer last year on Spurlock. This year you've got, uh, you know, Hayden Moore, who's a little lower rated. Bridgman's higher. Yeah, I like Hayden uh, Moore. He's going to need a little time. But, but Yeah, he's going to need a little bit of but time. But like last year we were pretty kind of low on their linebacker recruiting for a long – they missed on a lot of guys. And then yeah, they missed on guys – yeah, they missed on some guys last two cycles. Obviously, you lose Raylan Wilson as well. Mm-hmm. So they haven't gotten a ton of blue chip linebackers. And in, in Houseman, maybe you do. So I think that he is the guy here out of all of these that you can kind of say, hey, this might be uh, a little bit of a fix for some re- recruiting issues in, in the past few cycles. All right. Speaking of that, we should probably talk about that in more detail. We're going to take a break, come back and kind of have a thousand foot view. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of Homeshare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use Homeshare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com, that's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E, lending.com, slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? Eleven. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, equal housing lender. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. 
Welcome back to a very special signing day edition of the MGO podcast. We've talked about the defense. We've talked about the offense. We've talked about the transfer class. And now it's time for some high-level vibes. I mean, overall, as a recruiting class, this is a disappointment. And I think you can trace that back to you know the chaos and the immediate aftermath of Michigan's victory over Ohio State last year in their playoff appearance because you had both coordinators leave. You had uh, Harbaugh flirt with the NFL extensively. And that just sort of blunted any sort of momentum you might have gotten from finally breaking through. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, you have a couple of kind of bad luck things, like the in-state class doesn't have a Will Johnson in it. Mm-hmm. And, and the quarterback in it is dead set on playing as a true freshman. <laughs> so yeah. it's a, a situation where it had kind of a combination of factors that led to a class that is objectively not where Michigan needs to be. Now, I think the encouraging thing is that if you just flip over to 2024 they've already got three guys ranked in the top 300 um and they're probably going to get a Jaden davis they're probably going to get a couple of really high rated guys in the state and then at that point you you're back to the level of recruiting that's gotten to where you are right now and michigan can I mean, elite schools now get the opportunity to backfill bad classes like this. So I think Alex is right that if you look at the transfer portal as helping Michigan uh, repair the sins of this recruiting class, maybe that's not exactly right. But the transfer portal two years from now might be that. Mm -hmm. So if Michigan doesn't get some hits there and they have some holes in their roster, well, you know, as long as they keep performing at a level where – are going to be really attractive to uh, transfers. I think that you can you can take a hit like this, and you know if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, and then you can still backfill. Um, so it's a little bit less of a alarming situation than it was in the past. Now that said, it is very important that they get Jaden Davis, and it's very important that they get some Donovan Edwards types, some uh, elite five star types, because the guys who are five stars out of high school and stick at their schools, those are the stars, right? Like you can get a, a Bama transfer who didn't break through, but that's no longer a five-star player. Yeah. yeah it, I is mean, it, and he, you can include Blake Corum, who was like a 4.5-star player, but like, you know, the, the the guys that are, you know, you saw what Will Johnson did in the Big Ten championship game. That's the difference between what Michigan has and what Purdue has is, you know, J.J. McCarthy can just go and win you a game or Will Johnson can go and win you a game. That's why those guys are five stars. And it's not like they're born five stars. These guys work themselves to become like that. They spent a lot of time. Will Johnson was around football, you know, since he was a toddler. Uh, You you know, he was at every single seven-on-seven camp taking on guys four years, five years older than him um, and, you know, learned how to be a cornerback going against some of the best receivers to come through the state of Michigan. I think the portal, when you talk about using the portal in two years from now, this is a really important point for this particular class because this is the first real class where NIL was the story 
for the whole class. And that's a big part of Michigan's story because Michigan wasn't really organized. Going against other classes, like last year, it opened up at the end. Texas A&M is like, oh, let's just cut guys' checks. And that worked really well. This year, you had lots of schools doing that. I mean, it worked as one like. (laughs) Yeah. But but that's my point. What happened to all the Texas A&M guys? Where are they now? They're They're in the portal. portal. Yeah. So I think that that's going to be much more now than maybe in two years from now when the market settled down and people have figured out what you pay, how you pay, how you do this. And and when the players are getting better advice about how to do this. Because this year is just a free-for-all. And it does seem like the NIL stuff must have factored in a great deal. Like Michigan doesn't really put up a class like this, even with the, you know, turnover at key positions and uncertainty about Jim Harbaugh. You don't put together a class like this unless there's something wrong. And I Mm -hmm. think the clear thing that was wrong is that Michigan was behind the curve on NAL because they didn't regard it as what it actually is. They were like, well, it's, Let's follow the letter of the rule and the spirit of the rule. And everybody else was like, let's do neither of those. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's no way that you could follow this recruiting class and say that it was anything but NIL being the driving force overall that I think that Michigan and the, the chaos and the staff stuff hurt Michigan in particular, because if you're not going to be bagging, What do you got to do? You got to build relationships. And so Michigan was behind the curve on the relationships. And that's the only thing they have for certain guys if they're not going to be throwing cash around. And so that really hurt them, especially. But then once they kind of got their footing under them, they still had guys that the rug got kind of pulled out from under them on certain certain guys where where the money came in. And that's kind of where my frustration with NIL is. That's something that I wrote about a few weeks ago. There's been a lot of discourse about it's all there is on the recruiting message boards. It's something they need to get straightened out. There are ways that that they can do it that lead them to not be Texas A&M, but also be able to compete a little bit better. I think it's very frustrating that in this cycle in particular, anytime you hear like, oh, Michigan's going after this guy and, and they're recruiting against Clemson or they're recruiting against Notre Dame Notre or Dame. whoever, you you just instantly know we're not winning that. And for a team that's number two in the country, that shouldn't be the case. So that's something they need to get straightened out a little bit. Um, it's how they ended up in recruiting battles with with Illinois. So uh, they're working on it. We'll see what comes. It's it's very disappointing that it's taken to this point. But I think what we're seeing with 2024 is evidence of the fact that part of this was the staff stuff because they're landing already guys in 24 that they just weren't landing this cycle period. So I think that shows some element of that, but um, I think they, they do need to get it straightened out in, in particular, if they want to nail Jaden Davis down, like that's yeah. something that has, has been talked about. They've been, he's visited a million times. They're trying to get that, that locked in. And I think for quarterbacks in particular, NIL is a pretty darn big deal. And- um and where was Notre Dame this year? Notre Dame was one of the best classes in the country. Notre Dame was, yep. you know, they, they lost a couple of guys at the end, but Notre Dame had their NIL ship in order at the beginning of the cycle. And they, I mean, they they had a pretty new staff as well, but they knew what they were doing with NIL. And normally Michigan goes head-to-head with Notre Dame. That's probably like yep. the one school that we face off against more often. They're good at scouting. We're good at scouting. They're in the Midwest. We're in the Midwest. They like high academics. We like high academics. We are in the same pool. And normally it's like 50-50, right? We win some guys. They win some guys. 
we have the same kind of guys that we're going after. So if they don't get that guy, we get the next guy. Um, this year, Notre Dame cleaned up. And the reason, the difference between Michigan and Notre Dame, I don't want to compare us to Texas A&M because we're not doing it like Texas A&M. But we do do it like Notre Dame, except we were not doing NIL like Notre Dame. I think that that's going to calm down. I think that people's expectations are probably um, were probably wrong this cycle because it was so new and people didn't know what they were doing. But that was the big difference. Well, so... I mean, if you look at the transfer portal class, I think that's got to be at least some evidence that Michigan is getting their house in order, right? Because mm-hmm. Ladarius Henderson could be in the NFL draft this year. You know, Josiah Stewart is a guy who had, you know, USC coming after him, had a couple other suitors. Ernest Hausman <clears throat> had a couple other suitors as well who were big time programs. So, you know, I think that something got figured out well, because there's a couple what- of. A couple one, of kids in the transfer class that just wouldn't be here if Michigan's NIL was still so bad. Alex. Yeah, well, well, one thing we've heard is that Michigan's NIL program is better for the kids on the roster than it is for recruits right now. Um, that they, they've got that part figured out a little bit better, and I think transfers fit into this. But I also, and this is just shooting from the hip a little bit, but I think that to some degree Michigan's track record with development helps a little bit more with transfers necessarily than with recruits. I, I think that transfers to some degree, uh, once you get into college football, you know what's going on. You know which teams are good. You know where you want to get to and how to, to get there. I think with recruits sometimes, and this is something that people forget, that recruits are really idealistic and they really <laughs> believe in themselves and their own power. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to go to Miami and we're going to be 13-0. and 0. And, you know, then it kind of, you, you get in there a few years and suddenly – you know, it's not necessarily happening. And I think recruits also because they don't uh, like they don't watch as much college football necessarily as we do as analysts. Like they watch NFL, they watch some big games, but they're kids. They have lives. They, they're they high school athletes. They have a lot going on. Once you get into college, like in Ladarius Henderson's case, it's kind of like, well, look, I want to get to the NFL and I know what school is pumping out great offensive lines. Like I know where I'm going to go. And I think that helps Michigan to some degree. Like Hausman talked about development as a factor. I think for Josiah Stewart, obviously he had the same Ristol connection, but I think that probably played a role. And so I think the, the, the transfers are more down to earth, that they know what's going on a little bit more than recruits do, who just think they can kind of conquer the world and that hmm. the program they pick is the next big thing. And then after a few years, sometimes it isn't the next big thing. And then, and then you kind of figure out where you want to go to, to get you to where you want to be. I mean, it takes one practice maybe to realize how much you have to learn, and they don't know that at all. And they're and they're superstars at their school, so they're used to playing every day. And I think you're right that I think the the portal makes you more realistic because or the, those the the people who are in the portal are more realistic because most of them lost jobs, right? Most of the guys in the portal are not Ernest Hausman who is going to start at his well. School. Like, I mean, I don't the the guys in the portal at Michigan are are right. getting are not. That. So I think there's a big difference between what Michigan is doing in the portal and what Michigan State's doing in the portal. Yeah. So Barter, Nugent, Henderson, Hinton, Stewart, Hausman, all starters on their teams. Yeah. All guys who are either up transferring or they have a situation where the coaching is uh, questionable. And Michigan State is getting a lot of guys who are, you know, highly recruited washouts at big programs. Right. And at some point, you got to realize that unless there are some pretty specific situations, 
you know, a kid who spent two years at Alabama and now needs somewhere else to play probably isn't going to be a good Big Ten player. Yeah. Because even yeah. Al- like Alabama rotates, right? Alabama has a lot of different guys playing, especially on defense. And if you can't break into the rotation in Alabama, you can't be second string in Alabama. I mean, who is the, the Quaverius Crouch kid who came in from, from Tennessee? <laughs> Tennessee. Yeah. And he was like a linebacker and Michigan State was like, this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just moved him along. I mean, that's what you're gonna get. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's I think that you can think about the transfer portal again in the pro sports context where the guys Michigan are are getting are like signing big time free agents, right? Like that's like signing, you know, whoever the top outfielder is on the market this, you know, MLB offseason. Whereas what MSU and some other teams are doing is like claiming a guy off the waiver wire, right? Like, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> isn't <laughs> didn't work out previously. It's like, does anybody want this guy? And like that, you know, it's it's the similar principle, like waiver wire guys. Yeah, occasionally in a pro sport, one of them will hit and they'll make it big. And but a lot of them don't like a lot of them. Team claims them. They play a couple games. Then they get put back on waivers because there was a reason they were on waivers in the first place. So uh, it, it's a different level of, of sort of thing. And. I think building a program out of the portal is a bad idea. We've seen that with uh, a certain departed Nebraska coach that it just isn't really the, the great way to do it, but doing what Michigan's doing where you have a strong team, a strong core, and then you lose a few guys and you're like, Hey, we'll just go out and get the top guy on the market to fill this spot. That's pretty cool. And I think that does work pretty well. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I noticed going through um, when I was putting the article together, I, I just went through, I created basically a, a fake portal out of like all the players that have left Michigan. And I was like, where are these guys now? Can you name any of them who would be playing on this team right now? Like Xavier worthy is like the, <laughs> like there, or, or like there's, there's some guys we might've picked up a defensive end. I like, I don't know, maybe, but like uh, still feel bad about Xavier worthy though. <laughs> But, but like, no, but that's the name. That's the one guy. Like all the, the guy, yeah. and these are guys who you know were Michigan recruits who who actually trained at Michigan. These are higher quality than most of the portal. And when people are talking about the portal, they're kind of looking at this. You know, it, it's it's just recruiting, right? You're you're there are some guys who are going to be able to help you right away, and some guys who aren't. And you know, we don't. I don't want to blanket statement Michigan State because they had you know Jacoby Winman was a starter for UNLV, and then he moved up, and he was you know a decent player for them. He wasn't great, but he was a decent player for them until he got uh, arrested in Ann Arbor. Um, the 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 portal for Michigan. I. One of the people who uh, responded to me in the thread actually made a really salient point because I've been complaining about Michigan's. Uh, the Michigan system, like they just please let guys in, right? Let us have a freaking junior. And uh, this guy said to me, like, this maybe actually kind of helps Michigan. Like, it keeps them focused on certain types of players that they can get. Like, we're going to develop you, or we're going to put you in the NFL next year. Yeah, that's uh, not a bad way of putting it. And so here, here we are, another signing day. It seemed a little bit less important because it's a playoff game in ten days. But we did it anyway. Yep. We got a TCU preview podcast coming up in a few days, and we'll see you guys then. She makes a ruska, ruska, vodka, vodka, singing this crazy song. Boris is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own. He hates a Ruska, he hates a Volta, bandit 
Oscar. 